everybody welcome to a very special episode of film code my name is phoenix cloudin and uh i am super excited because this is the first time this guy's ever been on our show and i'm super really excited to talk to him uh super podcast friendly guy <laughs> that we got going on here joining me for this uh addendum episode of malcolm and marie uh i was a big fan of this movie he was also a big fan of this movie so we decided we're gonna come on here and give a different approach to it than uh, you've been hearing out there. So uh, please welcome my guest and great friend of, of mine and, and of the show, Mr. Kobe Mack. Kobe, what's going on, sir? Yo, 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 what up? It's your boy, Kobe Mack, and I am on Film Code. Yeah! <laughs> it's about time too. It's about time, man. We've uh, been trying to get you on forever. So happy you decided to come on for this this episode and, and for, for in particular this movie. Uh, so just real quick, I wanna kick off, like you've, you've done a few podcasts on this uh, movie, exactly. What, what has been the impression that you have been getting from other people about it? You, <laughs> let's say like a, a little over half a dozen. Um, and I think that goes to just how passionate I am about this film. I think somebody's called me like the unofficial ambassador for Malcolm Marie. <laughs> so between, you know, the half dozen podcasts, the hours upon hours of clubhouse rooms that I've been in, you know, my own reviews and, you know, dissections and discussions on Twitter, you know, the film is definitely divisive. Um, and, and I, you know what, and I can understand it. And I think that I've curated such a dope circle that the folks that have brought me on typically for the most part, feel aligned to like my viewpoints, right? Mm -hmm. Now, granted, I labeled this film as cinematic perfection, but I understand <laughs> that like when it comes to perfection, that's purely subjective, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll never like, I'll never like have this expectation that you need to feel the same way about this film the same way I do. Now, I can argue my points so we can try to come to some understanding so you can better understand me, but like your points are still your points, right? right. Um, but then again, I'll say this, you know, outside of my podcast circles, the conversation with general audiences, those have been the ones that have been the most spicy, you know, <laughs> you know, on one, on one hand, you've got the argument in regards to the film itself, like the art. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you have who is making this art and how it's being directed. Um, one, it is okay to have those two separate arguments mm -hmm. and conversations, but understanding I think that the most important one is how we dissect the art itself. Doesn't mean we have to ignore that other conversation and the complexities right. of it. But what's more appealing to me is analyzing the art for what it is. Right, right. And uh, I've, I've listened to a few of your uh, the, the appearances that you've made. And and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on because I was like, oh man, this dude's getting killed out there. Like, <laughs> like these guys are just like tearing it all apart. And I'm like, I feel bad. I'm like, because I love this movie. Like I, I am a fan of this movie. Uh, this is already my favorite film of 2021, and uh, and I just wanted to, I wanted to get a chance to be able to break it down, look at it, look at the art of it, and and show exactly why uh, 
why we might be the only people out in the world who seems to have a great the greatest appreciation for Malcolm and Marie. So uh, first off, yeah, you you said it. You gave this movie ten out of ten. Cinematic perfection. I'm 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 in that boat as well. Like we go out of five, so for me it's like a four out of five. Um, but brilliant. I watched it again today, and I was just like taken aback by how much how much skill is actually involved in this and especially because you're talking about a film that only features two people and we see movies all the time with these large you know extensive casts whatever and it was just impressive to me that there was so much done with just two people and that it worked like that was the thing that a lot of people I noticed out there in the general conversation is that it didn't feel like it worked. And I want to know why you think it worked. And I'll tell you why I think it worked. So when you say something like it worked, right, it's got to work for you. Ultimately, I think that the way that we appreciate film as an audience, the bulk of that appreciation is from a subjective standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. I do think from like craft and tech elements, there are some objective things that this film does in spades. Like you kind of start off there off the rip, right? This film looks gorgeous. So when we talk about the cinematography, it is stellar, right? Yes, um, I believe beautiful. that Sam has employed the guy who shot some stuff, you know, on, uh, on, on Euphoria and stuff like that. Like, it is well shot. It's well lit. The choice to have this, you know, in black and white is strictly that, a choice, right? Mm -hmm. There is no rhyme or reason why, um, objectively, why a film needs to be done in black and white. That is just a stylistic choice it doesn't mm -hmm. you know and it's it's for us I'm like how it makes us feel for right. me when i see something in black and white in photography it's a bit more striking a bit more elegant right mm -hmm. whatever the reasons why sam said he wanted it that, that way that's up to sam it's right. up to me how i feel about it right? right i felt more engaged with the two subjects where other things that were inside the space were like not oblivious but just like they they, they did not need to draw my attention exactly. i was completely focused on them in the conversation, the things that the camera's doing, especially like in the first act where Ooh. Marie goes out to smoke a cigarette on the patio and you got John David Washer kind of like, you know, talking to her and talking to himself, which yeah. that's shit that I did, right? <laughs> you know, like, and the camera's going in and out oh. from the living room, back into the patio and it's moving so slickly. Like, you know, the way that they're able to use just the production design of this particular set, it kind of reminded me of Parasite and the way how mm. the house was such a central figure into how the how the Parks and the Kims kind of move through it. The way that this argument moves all over the place, whether they're yeah. inside or outside or by the pool, like that's what keeps me engaged. And the yeah. music, God. Oh, the music was beautiful. Music is so good. The <laughs> fact that it was used narratively to be able to convey the feelings that one person had uh, towards another in the midst of the argument itself yes. and just how well it was utilized, how great it sound. I had the pleasure of watching this in the movie theater. So oh, I was beautiful. able to really feel engulfed by that. Um, and then just also in regards to, like, to that tech aspect, right? The fact that they chose to shoot this movie sequentially Knowing that, like, you know, after the fact, I think is what aided the performances. Mm. John David Washington is green. And what I mean by that, for folks that don't know out there, he is still new at this acting thing. He was an yeah. athlete before he was an actor. He was always Denzel's son, you know, even before <laughs> that. But when we think about his filmography, 
he still has a ways to go. The more and more that he's being around higher caliber actors, the more that he is just going to be a sponge and soak up so much stuff. And I feel like the way that this film was shot allowed him to be able to organically become Malcolm, get more comfortable with the screenplay, get more comfortable with himself and the direction and be able to rise up to the occasion when he needed to because what Zendaya does as Marie in this film, my, I've been a fan of this young woman since she was a Disney starlet. And right. knowing what like the history is for a lot of, um, you know, for a lot of folks kind of like in that industry trying to break away from Disney, like we see how they kind of chart. And it's just impressive what she's been able to do at such a young age, be such a beast, be so completely comfortable, be vulnerable as well. Um, I loved it all. And then when I, I don't necessarily search for perfection when I watch a movie. But when it does happen, it takes something magical. There's like an electricity that happens where it just hits you. And I'm like, oh, yeah. snap. And it was that butcher knife scene. Marie, what are you doing? Put the knife down, please. Marie. Do you remember those antidepressants I was on? I'm not on them anymore. I'm not doing well. I'm really, really not doing well. I've never been clean. And I don't plan on getting clean. I'm a piece of shit. I'm a liar. <clears throat> I cheated on you. Stolen from your mother. And you know what the fucked up thing is? I don't even care. I don't mind. Because I deserve it. Yeah. That happens towards the beginning of the third act. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I was I really thought the film was gonna go one way and I was about to jump off the ship. Like, nope, don't you do it, Sam. Don't you fucking do it. <laughs> and she pulls the rug from underneath me. She pulls the rug from underneath Malcolm yeah. and delivers one of my favorite lines in the film. That Malcolm is what authenticity buys you. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Like that's when I just knew. So like, that's the love that I got as an audience member. And that is just praising the art, you yeah. know, like, you know, from the, from the, from the craft, from the tech, how the screenplay, like, yo, for a lot of folks that thinks that this particular film is maybe not as relatable is because we are depicting the story of a filmmaker Mm -hmm. And another person who is an artist, the conversations that they have and how they have those conversations, folks may not necessarily hear that on a daily basis. Right, right. But it's real to them. And as a critic, when I watch a movie, do I believe in this world? Do I believe in these characters? Do I believe in their conflict? Their, do I believe in their, uh, uh, their, their goals? And did they mm -hmm. achieve them? Yeah. And this yeah. film did all of that for me. Yeah. So you spoke on a lot of things that I, I totally agree with, man, like, especially on the technical side. Uh, so the, the black and white, right? This year, I think we've seen maybe five or six, I'm not even sure, movies that are in black and white. 
Um, this and Mank, I think, are the only ones where I felt the black and white was necessary, like absolutely necessary. Um, and the reason for that is what you said about this this house that they're in, right? If if this had been colored, right, maybe some other aspects of that place would have drawn your attention away or something like that. But it being in black and white and us just really being able to focus on these two characters and their story and their argument, I just think it was it was the most intentional choice, and it is the it's the choice that I think was the best fit for this movie. Uh, so yeah, I think we're 100% in agreement on that. And yeah, you spoke on just the technical side of things is, is incredible, but Zendaya, my God, Zendaya. Uh, look, I love John David Washington. I think he killed it here too, as well. I think he did. I think he did a fantastic job. But Zendaya has about three scenes in this movie that you're just like, man, come on. Like, it's, it's insane. Her, her thank you monologue. Yeah. Um, that, that is, mm, that chef's kiss right there. It really that is. is, yeah, that is insane. So like, and we, we, we talked about, you talked about the script and the script I think is the, the issue that a lot of people are having with this film is that some of it doesn't seem believable, but I like what you said about, I like what you said about these people are, you know, you got one guy who's a filmmaker, another one who's an artist. That's not everybody's life. You know what I'm saying? Like if you work a nine to five job or, or whatever, and you got a girlfriend who's screaming at you at the top of her lungs because, you know, y'all are having a, a, an argument, you're not going to, you're not going to deal with that. You're not going to deal with that for two hours. You're not going to deal with that at one o'clock in the morning. You're not going to deal with that when you just had a great day. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of people are like, no, bro. This is too much. This is unrealistic. This is uh, not believable. But I think you put it in perfect reference that look at who they are. You know what I'm saying? They're they're You got a filmmaker. You have an artist in her own right. I think there's a bit more leeway there. And and that's why we, we have this thing. But the thing that I loved the most about this thing, especially seeing it a second time, was that the arguments didn't feel out of place like they didn't feel like they just came out of nowhere like so that like i know like i've heard a lot of uh the podcasts on this that seems to be a, a complaint that i hear a lot but i'm like i i totally disagree with that notion is like so we kick off with the argument about you know him not thanking her that's a that's i think that's a legitimate argument that's a 100 legitimate argument and to some people that may think that it's not once again it's based off of your own personal reference like what right. do you bring to this film you know um we are depicting for those that maybe listen to this that have not watched the film you should, right you should watch the film right <laughs> probably should have put a spoiler warning in there yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a story about a this is ultimately a story about a man and a woman who are flawed they mm -hmm. love each other and they're fighting for each other but it's not being done in a healthy way right this is a really good depiction on a toxic relationship in no way do i feel that this film is glamorizing this or saying that this is okay this is the right thing to do but it's also lazy to give a criticism and say well shit marisha just walked out the house right okay right. well great then there's no moody all then right there's no like, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. like we have to understand that like what drama is right, right. and th there's a choice like there's a specific choice why sam and the way that he collaborated with zendaya which they did why do they choose to highlight this specific argument? Because mm -hmm. 
it would be ridiculous to assume that this is their first argument. Right, right. This is an argument that they've probably been perpetually having. And there's shades of understanding that. I think that's what I loved about this film, that I was able through, in the span of this one night, get the full scope of their several-year relationship. Mm-hmm. So what started out as a simple, you didn't thank me, on its face, that could seem petty. Yo, this is my this is my night. Don't ruin it, baby. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? But like, no, it's, it's deeper. So every time, some people said the, the arguments felt redundant. You're not listening. And let me you're tell you something. Listening. If you're not mm-hmm. vibing with the film, and this goes with any film, yeah. if you don't like a film, it is so much easier for you to be able to pick nits when you don't mm-hmm. like something. Something's mm-hmm. going to have to work that much harder to bring you in. And because it's an argument for the jump, and keep in mind, for screenwriters out there, you're kind of taught not to spend too much time in an argument. It yeah. makes people uncomfortable in the audience. But the goal of this film is what we learn through the argument. This is where we get the, the character arcs. So for those out there thinking that there's no character arcs, you got to listen a little bit closely. It's not just thank me. It's also you stole something from me. Yes. You robbed me of my chance to tell my story, my way. Not only that, you didn't consider how I could have elevated this story right. for you. Not only that, what I'm understanding through the mix of this argument, Malcolm, you never wanted me to be a part of this process. Right. Because you're that self-serving and angry, arrogant that you don't want to share your success. Right. And the reason why is because you think you are such the shit, shit. Yeah. that you don't need anything else when really you do need me. Do you know why I need you? Because I enjoy your mystery. And these are all the things that we're learning right, right. about all of these different argument points and the way that it continues to unravel. And a lot of people get stuck on a magnificently written bathroom scene and performance from John David Washington. It is great. It is fantastic. And some people get stuck on that and think like, look at this man dominating this woman. But look what Zendaya's Marie does at the end of the film and completely checks my dude to the point where ultimately, and I think there's some ambiguity here, but I truly do believe that by the end of the film, Malcolm has been challenged. So he's, he's, he's really, he's really understanding the weight of his decisions yeah. and how that's impacted her Yeah, in that ultimately he does not want to lose her. And the fact that his final few lines in the movie is, I love you, Marie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Like, and then she says, and, and it'd be different if she didn't say anything. Right. But her final line in the film is, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. Fuck, that, that did it for me. Right yeah. Yeah. Like, and so many, so many parts of that. Like, the, the, the screenplay is the one thing that I'm like, it's, it's the most divisive part, I think, of this entire movie is and you said it because people are like i know on my show we i did it with three other guys right and all three of them were sort of like no this is bad i don't i don't care for it yada yada but i noticed that they were pinpointing specific scenes Hmm. right so like the bathroom scene yeah or like you know the the argument in the in the kitchen over the mac and cheese right so they'll they'll point at these little moments and i'm like okay but you're not looking at this story as a whole Right. And once you do that, then the mac and cheese argument ties into the bathroom scene, ties into the the butcher knife scene, ties into his rant against critics, ties it like all of it sort of like it's it's a dissection of a relationship between these two people. And you said a word that that even my co-host said, which I actually disagree with, which is toxic. I don't think these are two toxic people. I understand that like that that that's how it can it can look but i actually think that they're fair they're they're flawed no doubt about it they're definitely flawed but i think they love each other so so much that this all night argument is not about 
you know, airing out your grievances, not about tearing the other person down. This is about building each other up and becoming better. They want to stay together. That's why Marie doesn't leave, right? That's why, you know, that final shot in the film, I love so, so, so much because it's like, yeah, after that, you would think one of them's gone, right? One and you're almost left gone. with that. You're left he, with the right. mystery when he wakes up and it's like, Marie! Right. Marie! <laughs> Marie! And, and he like, goes outside like, and then you just kind of get this, like, because we could have been left with, you know, like, did she leave? Did she right. go back to pee outside? Like, right. I don't know. I don't know. But I love that we get them two together and it is, and that's where it ends. And it's like, that's what this whole thing was for. It yeah. was it was to get to this point of clarity, of understanding, of building each, like maybe tearing each other down a little bit to build each other back up, to be better people. Yeah. That was that was the idea I got from it. And then like, you know, we don't know what happens after this. We don't know True. if there, there'll be a Malcolm and oh, Marie I want too. more from this world. Like, I would, <laughs> right. love, I would love a miniseries if they choose to do it. I mean, oh, you man, know, that would like, be sick. It, it, would, it would be great. And that, that's what I'm saying. That's what I, when I fall in love with the world, it just makes me want to have, you know, more from it. And like, I can get when you're, you know, your, your, your podcast partners are like, you know, yeah, this is bad. Number one, yo, when I hear like a take that says bad, you need to tell me why you yeah. need to give me an example of what makes it bad. Cause there's a difference between it's bad versus I didn't like it. Those are two very different, very things. different. Things. You need that something's bad. And without backing it up, you're making it sound like that's an objective statement. And that's not, there's mm -hmm. no fact there. Just, I'd rather you say it didn't work for me. That's the subjective. Right. I'll appreciate that takes so much more, but yo, just back it up with some examples. So when I hear like the, the movie's bad, oh, why is it bad? Well, it just didn't feel believable. Say that, mm -hmm. say why it doesn't feel believable. Cause like now you're giving me your subjective take and this is your appreciation of the art, you know? Um, oh, it didn't like, it didn't work for me. All right, let's kind of like dig a little bit deeper. Like what didn't work? What were you looking for? And let's spend less time trying to rewrite a whole nother movie and analyze <laughs> what we have here. Cause that's that's ultimately what this what these critiques end up doing. It's yeah. like, oh, you know, uh, we should have been able to have this and this and that. That's great, but convey it in a way where you're not actually spending time on a different movie. Like let's let's talk right. about this one. And then you have the almost third argument to is there any validity to a lot of the commentary to how Malcolm feels about Hollywood? And knowing that Sam has written this movie, right. the comfortability of this white, you know, director writer speaking through this black vessel, right? Yeah, um, that was that, that, that's that, an that, issue that's, that that's, has come that's up tough. times. Right? You know that that's tough, and you know it, it, it's. I, I I'm I'm on more on one side than the other, but. I can understand where the other side is coming from, right? Like mm -hmm. I legitimately had, you know, um, I'm looking at critics and stuff like that. And the one thing that pointed out to me is this came from somebody's um, from somebody's review. And this is a, this is a, a, a non-black critic. Why is Sam Levinson writing from the perspective of a black filmmaker? The way that Levinson addresses white critics reviewing a black filmmaker's work just doesn't feel authentic. Keep in mind, <laughs> authenticity is a theme in the film. Right. right. So. When something doesn't feel authentic, it's only based off of your lived-in experience to what's right. authentic, right? right? Because you yourself are not black. So right. you have no idea what that is, but you are projecting, which is exactly what Malcolm is saying inside of his diatribe <laughs> about how we, as audience members, critics, journalists, project shit on the movies that had nothing to do with the movie. Yeah, yeah. A lot of folks <laughs> are kind of doing the exact thing that what is hinting at, you know? Yeah. And whether it's right or wrong, 
I don't know. That's a whole other argument. It was, like, it was effective because there was so much truth. I was busting a gut, bro. I was laughing yes. so hard yes. in this diatribe because there are so much truths. Me, as a black TV and film critic, I see how y'all be writing about this stuff like oh that. Oh, my God. Some so folks, Some folks want to dance around it and really sanitize their reviews because they don't want to be that one white critic that's a little bit right. too hard on this black story or something like that. Or they just choose not to write the shit at all, right? Right, right. There's truths there. Can does Sam have the permission to? Well, he doesn't need permission. He is a storyteller. Mm -hmm. We don't know if Sam spends hours on hours with multi-ethnic and diverse groups and hears these plights and one wants to share those inside of a film. There's right. nothing wrong with that. And keep in mind, Zendaya and John had a heavy hand in the collaboration of this film. Probably to make people more comfortable, should they have been given like co-writer or story by credit? They should. I don't know about WGA rules, but it's whatever. Right. I mean, I'm, and they're, they're both listed as producers. So I, I mean, you know, that, that, that's fair. And, and I, and I do think they consulted on the script. They had to, they're the only two people in it. I wouldn't be surprised if they changed lines, just flat out changed lines. They definitely and, did. Yeah. In the middle of, in the middle of recording. So like the, the only time of the film that I felt a little bit out the world for a split second mm -hmm. was when John David Washington through the dialogue says nigga. Yeah. I think he says it like twice, two or three, two, yeah, or, three two or three times, right? Yeah. As a black man, it sticks out a sore thumb when I hear it. And I'm knowing going in that this is written by Sam Levinson. Right. Not a black guy, right? Right. Now knowing afterwards that John took liberties to embellish on the character, which like is a part of the performance. That's this collaborative effort, right? Yeah. So it was not like Sam was like, I can't wait to write nigga. <laughs> this is my chance. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Nah, this is like, this. he's not mustache where I'm like, I'm going to say it. No, he's not right, doing right. it, right? Like, you know, this is, this is John becoming Malcolm. And I think we have to give some like creative license to that. Yeah, it, 100%. And like, that's again, like I dote on this film because it's just so clever and so clean. Like you, you talked about his diatribe against critics. Like when I first saw this movie, I, I like I had seen the reviews, and I had thought like for two hours, right? Malcolm just eviscerates critics. That was the impression I was getting, and so to see the movie and to see that it's two scenes. The first one seems kind of awkward and out of place. Does it's a weird one, but the second one where he goes on that long rant, that long diatribe it's so outlandish and so like just boisterous and ridiculous that it was so funny, right? And, and you're right, he's telling a very real truth. Now, you can sit up there and be like, well, Sam Levinson wrote it and therefore he's using uh, John David Washington to, to vent through you know this black lens about all of these things that he has issues with. And I'm looking at that like, that's a very, very shallow uh, critique of yeah. that scene. And there may That's be a, some truth there. Don't give me, because keep on. Yeah. I, we now know that there is an account and a encounter that Sam Levinson had with an LA Times critic yeah. in regards to a review for Assassination Nation, right? Right. I don't see any problem with him being able to incorporate that within the story. Like he yeah. has that creative license to kind of yeah. do that. But we can't have it both ways. Mm -hmm. If we're viewing Sam as Malcolm, mm -hmm. there's plenty of times in this film where Malcolm is depicted as the person in the wrong. Yeah. So if he's also trying to say, I'm writing this, he's also also willing to admit that he's wrong right. in a lot of these viewpoints too. And that was the thing that I wanted to, that, that absolutely uh, came out in my, uh, in our review last week was that 
like, yeah, you can't, you can't be like, well, you know, Sam Levinson is writing this through Malcolm. Well, then he's also writing Zendaya as well, who often corrects Malcolm, who often points out exactly. where he's wrong, who often points out, she calls him hookers and hoes, you know yes. what I'm saying? Like, like that, and she, she makes him mediocre. She calls him Bro, mediocre, right? As an artist, don't ever call me mediocre. <laughs> like, like, don't, don't do it. Like, so like, if, if Sam is, is, is also using, you know, John David Washington to criticize white critics, well, he's also using Zendaya to criticize himself. And he wrote both characters. So he's doing all of this himself. He's eviscerating y'all. He's eviscerating himself. And it all, you know what I'm saying, through these two characters, regardless of race, which I think is a very, just a, extremely shallow way of looking at things, that there's no, like, you can't say that he can't write for, for Black characters. Because then what's the ultimate end goal of that? Well, then you have white people writing white characters and white characters only. You have black people writing black characters and black characters only. Yeah, and that's for not to be boxed in like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think, no I think, keep in mind, it's a nuanced conversation because I get it. Like I have been through film theory and I understand and have chronicled the history of what uh, American cinema tech has been, right? When we, what makes us uncomfortable, you know, um, in the black and brown community is seeing opportunities um, taken away, right? This is yeah. that's systemic, you know, oppression of access and opportunities for you know marginalized groups and underrepresented groups, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we no longer want, right? So it's like I've heard the argument, well, you know, a black person should have told this story. Well, this specific story was something that was very close to Sam, Sam. and to Zendaya, and then John came in, right? And I've had somebody say, well, he should have brought the idea, but like a black woman or a black man should have directed it. I understand that we need to create opportunity, and those in power have to give up power to create equity. Uh -huh. I don't think that has to be with every project. Yeah. And I'm not saying like that shouldn't have been this project, but like this was something that two friends got together and said, yo, there's nothing going on. We in quarantine. Yo, let's praise the ingenuity to say, even though we have these strict lockdowns, that we can be able to still create art and share it. And so much so, we put our own money into it and Netflix bought that shit for $30 million. <laughs> like, this is paving the way. Like, like, there's nothing that should stop us. Now, granted, I'm not gonna, I'm not a part of that whole thing. Like, oh, you can go out there and shoot a movie on an iPhone. Could you? Yeah. yeah. Is it gonna sell? Probably not, Probably. okay? Like, well, the, man, yeah. That's not how this works. Right. But the point is, is that story is everything. Right. This is an engaging story with engaging characters. Yeah. You can write that shit. Sell it to somebody who could shoot it better. Right. And you know then also, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you just pointed out, like if this was an idea between two friends and they was like, yo, let's shoot it, but it's quarantine. Like, well, then he's got to shoot it. There's no time to find a new director or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Bring anybody else in. We're in quarantine. So it's, it, it whole, is who this, it is. This whole, like, you know, on, there was less than 22 people on set. This was shot in like, you know, a little less than 14 days. Like right. there's so many things. It reminded me of like how, when I first moved to California and I was, you know, and, and, and working in Hollywood and stuff like that, I used to be me and my DV camera and like me and my roommates would just like, just shoot shit randomly. Like it yeah. would just start out with like a long form improv. And then we would just like edit together and just see what happens. Right. Yeah. Like that gorilla style filmmaking but this is done to like the super duper 110th degree you know like how great it is like right. that's the stuff that gets me inspired that gets me going and i think that the film should be praised for it. It, it and it's not saying that if the film has warts or misgivings to you that we should ignore it we should not that's the beauty of art right. we can see the same thing and look at it in two and three and multiple different ways but like some of the criticisms i really just don't give much credence to yeah i'm, I'm in that same boat like I've seen a lot of them and I'm just like, I don't know what film, you know, you said it. Art is subjective, no doubt about it. But 
at, at least in the criticisms that I'm noticing, it's it's either critics butt hurt over the the uh, critic scenes, or it's people trying to compartmentalize the 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 race aspect of it. And to me, I'm just like, did you just watch the film? Like the film itself, you'll notice the cinematography, you'll notice the performances, you'll notice the score, which I noticed this second time I watched it, is incredible. It's, it's just there's so much good stuff here. It's it's ridiculous how the the, the conversation around it has been. Uh, I want to go there. Yes. Okay. All right. Then what is it? Your speech, Malcolm. Oh, give me a break. You're outside of your mind. When I said you found the most minor fucking detail and make it ugly, I meant it. You forgot to thank me, Malcolm. It's not a minor fucking detail, that's a big one. But I thanked you a million times before. You know that I'm thankful. You know that I'm appreciative. And you know I made a mistake, so why turn it into something more? Because it is more. What? It's our entire fucking relationship in that show. Oh, you can't be serious. I'm dead serious. <laughs> You're psychotic. You're hyperbolic. I'm not. It's psychotic to think that forgetting to thank you is symbolic of anything other than me legitimately forgetting to fucking thank Malcolm, you. Malcolm, you thanked 112 fucking people. Okay, you thanked your mother, your gaffer, your agents, your third grade teacher, and the usher who worked at the theater when you were 12 years old and saw whatever the fuck. I didn't thank the damn usher. You know what I mean. Well, you don't have to be sarcastic and petty and obnoxious about this shit, all right, Marie? I'm sorry. I forgot to thank you. I am genuinely sorry, which is why I apologized to you a thousand fucking times during the movie. I mean, I felt so guilty I couldn't even concentrate on the movie. Oh, well, that's a shame. You've only seen it 7,000 times. But every time I'd lean over and I said, I'm sorry, you said it was fine. You squeezed my hand and said it was fine. You said I love you. Don't worry, it's fine. Well, Malcolm, I changed my mind. How can you just change your mind? Honestly, it's pretty fucking easy. That doesn't seem a little crazy to you. Nope. It doesn't? Nope. Why? Well, Malcolm, because when I was in the theater, it didn't matter. It wasn't that big of a deal. It was fine. It wasn't until the after party, when every single person from your mother to Taylor kept coming up to me and going, you know, I bet you're probably a little bit upset right now because he forgot to thank you, but you know how much he depends on you. Taylor said that? Yeah, she told me not to read into it. Well, what the hell does that mean? Hmm, funny you should say that. That's the exact thought I had. Why well, didn't cheat on you? I didn't ask. I'm just saying. I didn't that. ask. Well, I'm just saying. I didn't ask. Uh. But yeah, so overall, I wanted to I wanted to get you on because I wanted to 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 understand exactly what the conversation was out there. No one's been out there more than you, Kobe, especially about this film. And what exactly have you learned from the other side? Exactly what it, what is it that uh, that you're hearing? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, from the other side, I think respectfully, I can hear the cries for fairness, right? For those mm -hmm. that just want to be able to make sure that our voices from black perspectives, from a black lens aren't being muted. And I get that because, you know, there's been too long that we've seen in Hollywood that that's just what, the, that's just how things have been done. Um, and yeah, well, let me ask you this, mm -hmm. let me ask you this. Like, uh, do you consider this a black film? Not at all. Yeah, this is a film about two people that just so happen to be black. Yeah, and, that, that's, and that's the thing. I mean, Sam even challenges that notion with inside the screenplay. Let me tell you something: when a director can be able to do that within the screenplay, kind of answer that. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, one of the one of I mean, there were so many juicy things. So I've read the script twice, right? Right, right. Um, and it, it's really, really good. And I love the fact that this came, you know, from Malcolm. You know, it says, I'm choosing to make a film that's fundamentally political, but not every movie I make is political because I'm black. black. Yeah, the way that we approach 
and 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 criticize a film, we should kind of remove this context of like what we're trying to bring to it. Like, okay, so this is a black filmmaker. So what is this film trying to say? It doesn't right. have to say shit. Right. Like, he even says he even says it again a little bit later in regards to so cinema doesn't need to have a message. It needs to have a heart, heart. electricity. Uh-huh. You know, we believe that a black filmmaker has to make something, so it must be saying something. Right. Why can't just because we don't project onto quote unquote white films. Like right. you know what right. was um you know what was uh this dude doing was it was a guy that made Transformers well, um the first one shit Michael uh, Bay Michael Bay yeah. what was he saying <laughs> what a no fucking message because for some reason with whiteness it doesn't need to be a message because that's the right. standard right. right we need to dispel all of that shit we got to right. get over it like that like that's done with so there were some truths that were espoused from Malcolm within the text that I absolutely walk away with and. I will say that when I'm hearing the, you know, the, the, the thoughts from the other side in regards to, you know, who can say this and that, that's where I'll push back. But I still appreciate having that conversation because the conversation does need to be had. You know, um, mm-hmm. we are much more awake to the to the social reckoning that America is having, especially like since this summer. Right. So we don't want to give anything to pass anymore. Right. Like gone right. are those days. We don't want another green book to happen. See like now, that, I'm a fan of Green Book. Oh, and that's the thing. I am as well. And a yeah. lot of these same stories come up. So with Green Book, it felt quote unquote inauthentic because he knew that so much of what we saw on screen right. was coming from a white lens, yeah. but it's talking principally about interaction yeah. between this black character and this yeah. white character, right? I will say, analyzing the art itself, Green Book is a really good movie. Right. It does, <laughs> it, it follows a very specific formula, mm-hmm. but, it, but it's done well. The music yeah. is good. The performances are good. The writing is good. Just because you wanted something differently right, doesn't right. make it bad. Your desire for something else doesn't make it bad. I can be tired of getting that movie, yeah. but if I'm analyzing the movie itself, it's good. The conversation outside of that was messy because it's like, yo, here we go again. You don't see all of these tropes, the, the white savior trope. And this is right, like, right, I, right. I get that, you know? I completely, shit, I'm black. I get, I'm supposed to get it. Right. But I think that we can be able to have a nuanced conversation to analyze both. And, and that's where I'm at with it. I, I like, look, I know that there were the complaints about Green Book were, I think they're valid. I, I totally think they're valid. But also I'm sitting up here and I'm like, you know, I get it because this is a historical icon, you know, Dr. Don Shirley. And you, you want to hear more of his story. But the, the truth is, is this story was particularly about Nick Vallelonga and his, yes. his relationship with Dr. Don Shirley. So like, that to me is why I couldn't really get behind a lot of those criticisms is because I'm like, well, it's technically not yeah. that story. So like, that, it's that's the same thing that we're going to get, you know, when the conversation moves on to Judas and the Black Messiah, right? Ooh. There is a desire to be able to like, look and have more of Chairman Fred Hampton. Mm-hmm. We have to understand that's technically not his story in this film. In this film, yeah. All right? This is Will O'Neill's story. Mm-hmm. And it's not saying that we can't get Fred's story. We can appreciate, like, I mean, I, I love the film for so many different things, right? right? Being able to spend the time and the life and power of Fred that we got in this film. But I'm also craving more, yeah. right? But those are two separate arguments, right? I can't be mad because I didn't get something. That's a me thing, right. right? It's fine that I had that critique, but that's a me thing. That's mm-hmm. not a movie's problem, right? right? Now, marketing, that can kind of muddy the waters, right? I will say yeah. I've heard from some people on the other side, well, this is marketed as a black film. Well, that's- Malcolm that's, and Marie? Correct. That's dependent on what you feel is, what is a black film to you, right? Yeah. You know, because for a lot of people, they feel like a black film has to be like, have these stereotypical things that we talk about. We are not a monolith. 
Right. You know, like not and, at all. And I like, never, to, I never expected this film to be a black film, and I, I truly don't believe yeah. that it. Is. And I and I don't like. Uh, let's analyze that for a second. What exactly is a quote unquote black film? You know, what I'm saying like because I, I looked at Malcolm and Maria, and I'm like, it stars two black people, sure, yeah. but does that make it a black film? Because I'm I'm looking at a movie that I love, like say, a. Uh, a black dynamite or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, or, you know, a lean on me or, you know what I'm saying? One of those films, old school black films, Last Dragon, stuff like that. Yeah. I'm like, those to me seem more in line with black films. I guess what I take as a black film is that it has a specific, unique uh, take on black life. Let's, I let's, guess. Let's, let's do an experiment, right? Yeah. For the folks out there listening, go to Google and just type this in. What's a black film? <laughs> Let's say Google will kind of give up Wikipedia, right? Black film is a classification of film in Hollywood that has a broad definition relating to the film involving participation and or representation of black people. Mm -hmm. The definition may involve the film having a black cast, a black crew, a black director, or a black story, or a focus on black audiences, right? Is there black uh, cast that's in this film? Absolutely, right? Mm -hmm. Not a black director, not a black writer. I don't know who was working with him specifically. That seems very vague. It has nothing to do with what the story's about. <laughs> right, right. Nothing to do with the story about, but just who participates. And that's it. Of this experiment. What's a white film? Oh, dear. Wanna know what Google comes up with? Yeah. The white film is the residue of hardness and other minerals in the water. It, it doesn't fucking <laughs> exist. It doesn't exist. We cannot be, we cannot be condemned to believe that there's just rigidness. But let me tell you something. Black folks did not come up with black films. No. White Hollywood did. Yeah. So when we say what's a black film, right? Just know that that necessarily didn't come from us. Right. If we want to choose to live under that definition, we are really going to stymie the amount of progress that we can make. 100%. Because it's a black film, does that limit the audience and its reach that it can't go to a white audience? And that's, that's what I think it is. That's what I definitely think Hollywood definitely thinks it is, is that it's a classification. It's a way of boxing us in to, to only reach our audiences. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if you watched uh, Dolomite is my name that came out last yeah, year. Absolutely. Okay. Like to me, that was sort of, that sort of gave them the leeway of that, you know, the original yeah. Dolomite films. It was a where, period. It's a period piece that is depicting the black exploitation era. Exactly. And, but like, it seemed like it carried over no matter what, like if you yeah. have a film with predominantly black audience, uh, black cast members, then um, you know you can only reach that audience. It's sort of how they treated films, like great films, like great '90s films, like uh, Best Man and mm -hmm. The Wood, and all of those, where it was like these movies. They gave like you know here's five six million dollars. You go ahead and make it, and those movies turn out a hundred million dollars in profit. Yeah. And then you know twenty some odd years later, they do The Best Man Holiday, which I loved. But all of a sudden, this all black cast film has a white character and this white character got lines. This white character is with the black woman. Mm -hmm. Like, where did this white character come from and why is he here in this movie that survived on its own without any white character? So, like, to me, I was just like, that, that, that's where the, that but, sort of classification comes but from. But isn't that the, that's the power of cinema, right? Mm -hmm. The way that we are socialized culturally, right? Yeah. We've been taught what is a black film and what is not a black film. 
that, you know, two could play that game, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Love and Basketball, Brown Sugar, like those oh, are black films, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like we know it when we see it, Soul Food, those are black right, films. Right. I've been celebrating them every year in regards to black cinema and TV that's informed my love of Hollywood um, just since I've been a kid, right? Mm-hmm. That's not a bad thing because we need to be able to have films for us because for a long time, they came few and far between. And that's a marketing thing in regards to how films are pushed. But one of my favorite films that is a principal black cast is, um, oh my God, it's with Kevin Hart, uh, Joy Bryant, Michael Ailey, About Last Night with Regina Hall. Oh, okay, nice. Keep in mind, four black leads, Mm -hmm. not a black film. Those characters could have been anybody. They just so happen to be black. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite films of 2020 was The Photograph yeah, by Stella no. yeah. with Issa Rae. <laughs> what I loved, and we, it's we bit, definitely clashed yeah, over we, this. We <laughs> what I, but, what, but what I celebrate about that film leading up to its release was that it was not a film that was stymied in Black trauma and pain. Right. It was a film that was just celebrating love between two individuals. They just so happened to be Black. The story had nothing to do with their Blackness. Oh, this black woman not being able to get a job. This black brother being pushed out because he can't keep a job. Right, right. We've seen those tropes over and over again. I'm tired of those storylines. So when I get this inside of Malcolm Marie, not that I ever interpret as being a black film, I can praise the fact that we can be able to have representation in film and it's not centered on our trauma or our pain. Yes. Give me more of that. Yes. Give, give me all more of that. Yo, Kobe, man, I can't thank you enough for coming on, bro. What an, what an incredible conversation we just had, man. And, and, you know what I'm saying? I'm right there with you, brother. Malcolm and Marie, 10 out of 10. I just think we need way more films like this, uh, regardless of what you call them. Uh, this was insane. It's insanely good. Watched it again. I'm probably going to watch it a, like, a few more times. Uh, like It's just insanely how good it is. Kobe, man, let everybody know where they can find you and uh, keep up with you. Yeah, well, once again, bro, thanks so much for having me on. This has definitely been a lot of fun. Listen to your podcast before. I definitely got to do it more frequently. So, low. if you're out there like me, like, subscribe, comment, and share this episode. Share with your friends and family. If you want to get at your boy, you could do so. You can follow me. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Kobe Told Me. When I'm in the mood to write, you can check out my website at KobeToldMe.com. And the podcast will be back soon. Back from hiatus, the Kobe Told Me podcast. So, when they ask you where you heard it from, you can tell them Kobe Told Me. Thank you. All right, brother. We'll see you next time. And I've been Phoenix Cloudin. You can find me on Twitter at IMHOReviews1 and on Letterboxd under PA Cloudin. And as always, please follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and now on TikTok at Film Code Pod. We will see you guys next time. We're out of here. Peace. <laughs>